I, I want to share with you something that has happened uh, back when Lindley and me were young married parents. So back when we were young marrieds and we had little kids running around everywhere, you know, when they were five years old and three years old and about six months old, and life was just flying by at a pace we couldn't feel like we could keep up with, somebody who was older and wiser came alongside me and said to me, hey, what's going to happen if for some unforeseen reason the worst possible thing happened and you and Lindley were killed? What's going to happen to your kiddos? And I thought, I have no clue. I've not even thought about that. And somebody older and wiser said to me, you should think about that. And so Lindley and I decided we would think about it, and we decided we would make a last will and testament. And we went through the process of working through making a will when we were just young parents. And what motivated us to do that was the idea that if we didn't tell what should happen, we didn't know what would happen. And we wanted to take care of our kids in the event that we were not there to take care of them the best that we could. So one of the big decisions we had to make as we worked through that was how would we give our stuff to our kids? Now we're young, maybe we don't have a lot of stuff. But somebody older and wiser came alongside me early in my life in marriage and said, hey, do you have life insurance? And I was like, no, I don't have life insurance. So well, that'd probably be a good idea. If something happened to you, what would happen to your wife? I was like, I don't know. That's a great idea. And so we did that. And so if both of us had died, then our kids would have the stuff that we had plus some money from life insurance. And so we were thinking, what do we want to do with that stuff for them? And so we made a plan under some wisdom and direction for somebody who knew more than we knew. And we decided we, what, we want, what we really want is we want somebody who will be in charge of distributing their new resources in a way that benefited them until they were 18. They were, we wanted them to be in charge. We did not want our six-year-old to be in charge of all the resources for his three-year-old sister and his one-year-old brother. That's not a good scenario, right? So when it's somebody else in charge. And so what we decided is we we're going to put somebody in charge of everything to make decisions on their benefit. And then when our kids turn 18, they're going to get a third of what belongs to them from our possessions that we gave to them. And then a few years later, they get a third more. And a few years later, they get a third more. And I was like, that's a great plan. I think that makes sense. We're protecting them in some way to not go out and do something crazy. And so that was a really important decision. But the biggest decision related to our stuff was not how it was going to be distributed to our kids, but who was going to be in charge. I can promise you this. We did not look around our life and say, hey, who hasn't really been doing a good job with the stuff they have? Let's pick them to be in charge of our stuff for our kids. That's not what happened. Now we looked around and we said, we've got to find somebody who's doing stuff with their stuff that would make us confident they could do stuff with our stuff that's for our kids. That was a big deal. Who would be in charge of the stuff? 
What was an even bigger decision was who would be in charge of our kids. And man, we wrestled with that one. Because we had to have somebody in our lives we knew that would love our kids, sacrifice for our kids, and effectively become their new parents if we died. And I promise you, we had to find somebody that we knew would do the right job. Now the reason I tell you that story is because every one of us, every one of us, choose people to be responsible for the things that we value most only if those people are responsible with less. Every one of us make decisions about what we value most and who we trust based upon whether or not those individuals are faithful with less. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to approach the Word of God as if the Word of God is a mirror. And I want us to look into that mirror knowing that we all understand stewardship. And I want us to look into that mirror and I want us to see what God may enable us to see about ourselves so that we could each take our very next step in more faithfulness. All right, so let's open God's Word, look into the mirror. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start reading in verse 6. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want you to notice what verse 8 says. Look back at verse 8. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Now how is it that God is able to make every grace overflow to us? Think about this. None of us in this room would give the responsibility of what we value most to people we know are irresponsible. Right? But God is able to make every grace overflow to us. Think about this. God has given to us unbelievable grace. He has entrusted to us so much of what belongs to him. The whole world and all that's in it belongs to God. And what has God given us? Unbelievable possessions and experience. He has given so much to us. Now think about who we are. The Bible says that not one of us has chosen to do what is good and right before the Lord. That effectively all of us have demonstrated irresponsibility with what God has already given us. And the the biggest truth in that is when God says that every single one of us has gone our own way and we have sinned against God. We have demonstrated that we are poor stewards with the very life that God has given us because we have rebelled against God with our lives and are sinful in our behavior. And still God has given us our very lives. He has poured on to us this amazing grace. Now how is it that God is able to cause every grace to overflow to our lives when we are not good stewards? Because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived perfect and died on the cross for our sin rised from the dead to overcome our sin and the death we earned from our irresponsibility. The reason that God is able to make every grace overflow to us is because of the stewardship of Jesus Christ. I find that rather surprising and refreshing. God has caused His grace to overflow to us in Christ so that when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we ask Him to forgive us of our sin and we make a decision to follow Him for the rest of our lives that because of Jesus Christ's faithfulness in the stewardship of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, God on on Jesus' stewardship, has given us every grace. Everything you have is because God has poured out His grace on you. 
And as a follower of Jesus Christ, all of God's favor that belongs to Christ has been given to you on the basis of the stewardship of Jesus Christ. So everything you have is because of grace. It's unmerited favor because of Christ. So stewardship has nothing to do with receiving the grace of God. Your stewardship, my stewardship, has nothing to do with receiving God's favor. This is huge. If you don't understand that you and I have been terrible stewards with the life God's given us and that we deserve nothing but His judgment, then we will not understand that all the grace of God's favor that's come to us is on the basis of Jesus' stewardship, not ours. So the first thing we've got to understand as stewards of God's grace is the grace that's been given to us is not because we were good stewards is because of the good steward of Je- stewardship of Jesus Christ. Period. So what does stewardship have to do with it? The experience of God's grace given in Jesus Christ has everything to do with our stewardship of that grace. Here's what what the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that what you do with God's grace as a steward has everything to do with what you experience about God's grace. It was given to you freely on the stewardship of Jesus Christ through your faith in Him. Okay, so I want to read another passage of Scripture with you. Kind of help us work through this. So let's look over at Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? If you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what the Scripture does. The Scripture describes God's grace in two categories. And I'm going to label them lesser grace and greater grace. And the Scripture describes lesser grace as those physical things in our life, our possessions. And what this passage is telling us is that how we handle lesser grace determines how we experience Greater grace. This is the economy of God. And the economy of God is not like our economy. Because we don't trust people who are not trustworthy. And yet God has trusted us with the riches of the gospel. Because he knew that the stewardship of Christ could change us. 
and where those changes need to occur in order to unlock the experience of greater graces is in the area of lesser graces. So God's economy is that how we steward the lesser graces, the stuff we have, the possessions God has given us, how we steward our worldly wealth has everything to do with opening the door for experiencing the greater graces. This is the economy of God. All grace has been given to you, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you. But what we must do is make sure that we are good stewards of lesser grace, because God has said to us, how you steward lesser graces is the avenue to the experience of greater grace graces all right flip over to Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12 verse 15 he says watch out Jesus says watch out be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions so lesser grace, the stuff we have, is important. But it's not important because that's what life is about. No, the lesser graces are important because the lesser graces are the avenue to the experience of the greater graces. You're not going to experience the greater graces of God that have been given to you in Christ if you are not a steward of the lesser graces. See, God gives us our possessions not because life consists of our possessions. No, God gives us our possessions so that we might be on a pathway to experiencing the greater graces of spiritually eternal things. This is God's design and gift to us so that we might be found good stewards who are given the opportunity by His grace to experience something we are not worthy to experience. And the avenue through to experiencing the greater graces is and always will be how we steward the lesser graces. Alright, let's read one more. Matthew, flip over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't wrap your whole life around lesser graces. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason that God has given us lesser graces is so that we might make decisions about what He's given us, the stuff, so that we might then experience greater graces. God's given us the stuff we have out of His grace so that we might do with the stuff we have what He prescribes so that we experience His greater graces. Now, if you look back with me at the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, what you're going to see here is that God is describing for us a pattern of how we are to use lesser graces. You can see in this pattern that we each one are supposed to give to the Lord 
regularly out of the lesser graces, the stuff we have. And they were supposed to do it cheerfully, not as if it were needed or required, because God does not ask us to give lesser graces because He doesn't have those things until we give them. No, He has everything. And what we have is His. And He doesn't ask us to give because it's necessity for His need. He asks us to give because in His economy, what we do with lesser graces opens the door for experiencing the greater graces. If you read about what's happening in 2 Corinthians 9 here, they're giving out of the lesser graces. Just track through here how many greater graces are talked about. Do you see the, the, seed, the one who supplies the seed for sowing provides a harvest of righteousness? You hear that? He's going to give you lesser grace, but if you're faithful to lesser grace, what you're going to harvest is greater grace. That's the principle in the Scripture. We should give cheerfully. We should give on the basis of our income, not our expenses. Did you see that? Based on what God has given you, you give out of the lesser graces for the kingdom of God and the work of the church. And here's what God's going to do for you. God is going to come into your life and He's going to bless you with an experience of greater grace. You're going to overflow with thanksgiving. You're going to have an experience with the church that says, man, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth. You're going to feel like, man, this is amazing to be a part of and what God is doing, I don't want to miss out on. And you're going to feel like you're part of something far bigger than yourself. And it's all going to be an experience that's opened up to you because of faithfulness with the lesser graces. This is how God has designed it. And he wants us to experience the greater graces. Now, what are the greater graces? I mean, what is God after for us to experience? In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 10 and 11, there is a description of the grace that God gives us as a part of the church. And you can boil down that description into two ways that God's grace, greater grace, is expressed from us. And the two ways in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, are how we serve and what we say. How we serve and what we say. When my kids were little, we wanted them to share because we knew as parents that the things that happened in your life because you shared were far better than the things that happened in your life when you hoarded and you were selfish. We knew and believed that if we could put, instill into our kids the willingness to give instead of the willingness to cling, that, that would be better for them. If you have raised children or you have dealings with grandchildren, you know that Little kids repetitively say things like, that's mine, right? It's one of the first things they learn to say. They learn to say no, and they learn to say that's mine. And what we wanted our kids to be able to do is to, is to recognize it's not yours. You're not the owner. Everything you have is on loan from mom and dad. Your room is not yours. 
your, your, the sheets on your bed are not yours, the clothes on your back are not yours. We can take all that away from you anytime we want. We own it all. You don't own anything. Every bit of money you earn while you're in your house, our house, it's not yours. I own your life. And the reason that we conveyed that to our kids is because we wanted them to understand no one is truly an owner but God. And we just wanted them to be able to share out of the confidence and security that somebody else was the owner. And so we said to our kids, hey, look, if you share that toy that's your favorite toy that you think is yours, that's not really yours, it's ours, and we're just giving it to you to play with. But if you share that with somebody else and it's your favorite toy and they break that toy, don't get upset. You don't own that toy. You didn't lose anything. I'm responsible for that toy. And I can replace whatever they break. And it's a whole lot better for you if you will be giving and you will share than if you will be selfish. And you can be giving because I can, I can replace whatever it is you lose. I, I got means to take care of every little toy times however many. You don't have anything to worry about. How much, how much greater is God? You, you see what He wants to do in us? He wants us to get to the place where we can share lesser graces so He can entrust us with sharing greater graces. Everything that you do in the grace of God is meant to be done so that people see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that you say is meant to be said in such a way that people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and how He has infiltrated your life and captured your heart and it just overflows into the community in which you live and they are able to see and experience who God is and decide to follow Him. There is no greater grace experience than the experience of a sinner saved by God's grace leading another sinner to Jesus Christ and experiencing that same salvation by grace. I'm going to tell you right now, over the course of my lifetime, there has been nothing more significant than seeing people accept Jesus Christ. And it's come out of some of the ways that God has enabled me just to share Christ with them and for me to be a little part of it. And I want every single person in our church family leading other people closer to Jesus Christ because there is no greater grace to be experienced. Think about it. We were once a people without God, and now we know God. We were once a people without hope, and now we have hope. Can you imagine the repetitive, joyful, amazing experience of leaving, leading other people who have no God and have no hope to meet Jesus Christ and have their eternity changed? That is the greatest of all graces. And God is saying to us, I've given you the lesser graces so that when you're faithful as a steward with those graces, I know I can trust you with the greater graces. And I'm going to bring into your life one opportunity after another to tell others about Jesus Christ where you live. Are we ready to take a step more faithfulness 
with the lesser graces. I want you to listen to one more passage. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So listen through the framework that we've been talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. You do not take hold of what is truly life if you are not willing to steward the lesser graces. Because what is truly life is found in the greater graces. Because those graces last forever. Are you ready to take next steps? All right, reach into your worship guide and pull out that insert. I want to talk to you through next steps. We're, we're introducing the five categories. And today you have a handout of these five categories that provide you a way to gauge how you're doing with lesser graces. This whole series has been predominantly about the greater graces. Today, I'm encouraging you to recognize that our church's experience of the greater graces, that full horizon of where we're headed for the sake of Christ, where we live and across the world, that experience of the greater graces has everything to do with what we're doing as a church family with the lesser graces. And so this is a tool to evaluate where is it that God wants you to take a step towards more faithfulness in the area of lesser graces so that you open up the door of heaven in the greater graces? And so there's five categories, launching category. You can see there, I'm beginning my giving, giving journey. We've got a lot of people in our church family who are beginning their giving journey. And I just want to tell you, thank you. I'm excited for that. And I want to encourage you to think about what your next step is. Because unlocking the experience of the greater graces, which are given to you in Christ, has everything to do with what you're doing with the lesser graces. Keep taking the next step. And then if you look learning, I'm giving a consistent percentage of my income to support the work of the church here. I am taking that step towards giving a more consistent amount. And so if that's you, that's your next step. And then leading, leading, those who are leading the way in our church family in regard to lesser graces, to say I'm committed to giving 10% a tithe to support the, the work of the church. And here's the new category for this week, leveraging. I'm giving beyond my tithe. These are the folks that recognize and embrace that Jesus said it's better to give than receive. And they just can't help giving more and more over the course of their lifetime. These are the people that recognize that the Old Testament creates a lot of expectations around giving to the Lord. And when they read the New Testament, the expectations don't go down. They actually go up because the gift of God's grace should cause us to be even more generous than the Old Testament would ever cause us to be. They see a consistent pattern in the New Testament where Jesus says, you've heard it was said in the Old Testament, things like, don't kill. And Jesus says, what I'm telling you in light of my grace is don't even be angry with people. 
You've heard it said in the Old Testament, don't commit adultery. What I'm telling you is, don't even look at somebody with lust in your eyes. The idea is that the generosity of God experienced in Jesus Christ propels us to more than the Old Testament would expect of us. And so the leveraging giver says, hey, I understand what God has done for me, and I want to keep responding to his generosity with more and more generosity in the lesser graces because I see how that opens the door for greater graces. That's what I'm really about. The legacy giver, I'm living radically generous with my life and all my resources. When you think of legacy and leveraging, what you really should be thinking about is, I'm doing everything I can with everything I am in order to multiply who I am many times over for the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. So I'm doing this not just to impact the church and the kingdom of God through my gifts, but I'm also rallying other people around me so that they are doing the same thing. Legacies are created when many people are affected and their life trajectory is changed because of the way you live. And that's radical. When you leave a wake of people behind you, following Christ like they never would have because you live generously with everything you are. Legacy. I I just want you to think about what are your next steps. Because how you steward the lesser graces has everything to do with your experience of the greater graces. With one exception. One exception. If you mistake... The call to live generously as anything other than a call to pursue Jesus Christ, then you will not see the greater graces unlocked. Because you cannot buy the greater graces. So you can't write a check and everything be okay and the greater graces come into your life. That's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about aligning yourself with Jesus Christ, pursuing him with your life, surrendering everything to him, and trusting him with everything you are because you know he has given you all grace in Jesus Christ. This is about finding God and following him with everything you are. That's what living generously is about. And if you make the decision to align the lesser graces of your life with Jesus Christ because you want to follow him with everything you are, then I can guarantee you the experience of greater graces will continue to unfold in your life. And we need that right now because right now we stand at the river of opportunity. And that river of opportunity where we live is seen clearly in the thousands of people that God is bringing to where we live every year. I mean, what is more valuable than the people that God is bringing where we live? And here we are at the river of opportunity and God has called that, caused that river to heap up So that we now see that riverbed as a dry riverbed. And what we've got to decide is, are we willing to take our very next step into that river of opportunity? Into that land? Because we believe that God has promised His greater graces for us in Jesus Christ. Somebody's going to have that story to tell. I would like it to be us. I'd like to be a part of that. But I know that the greater graces are reserved for God's people who are stewards of the lesser graces.
So what is your next step?